Welcome to the August 2020 issue of Beef Monthly. I'm Dr. Ron Luminator, Beef Extension Specialist at Purdue University, Department of Animal Science. In headline news, we're going to talk a little bit about feedlot profits as measured by the Sterling Beef Profit Tracker. We'll talk a little bit about beef exports and beef margins and price spreads, electronic animal identification and disease traceback, and the cattle industry meeting that was just recently held in Denver, Colorado. In the Beef Issues Forum, we're going to have a roundtable discussion with three of our Indiana Beef Cattle Association past presidents who are now serving in leadership roles either in the National Cattlemen's Beef Association or in the Cattlemen's Beef Board. In the Ask Dr. Ron segment, Dr. Keith Johnson will join me and we'll talk about stockpiling forages for late season grazing. In production and management tips, we'll talk just a little bit about stockpiling forages. We'll also be visiting about weaning management, early pregnancy diagnosis, and adding value to call cows. In upcoming programs, we've got about six different virtual programs. Okay, Some of them are field days, some of them are webinars, uh, but I think some of those you'll find to be of value to you and your operation. And now, a word from our good friends at Corteva. Your land is more than a business. It's a heritage that has been passed down from those who tended it before you, by those who shaped it, changed it, and cared for it. Your land has a legacy, one that you carry on, but also one you build on. At Corteva AgriScience, we are the stewards of a lasting legacy. We have a responsibility to Dow AgroSciences to maintain the relationships and trust they built and to build upon those foundations. To help you care for your land, to provide innovations that help you protect the hard work and investment you've poured into it. To help you build a legacy that can be passed on for generations to come. Corteva AgriScience. In headline news, our, our lead article is really about feed yard margins reported by the Sterling Profit Tracker and calculated on a cash basis with no adjustment for risk management practices. The Beef Profit Tracker is intended only as a benchmark for the average cash cost of feeding cattle. According to the Sterling Beef Profit Tracker, the six-week-long rally in fed cattle prices pulled feeding margins to within $20 of break-even last week. Negotiated cash cattle prices averaged $105 and almost 50 cents a hundredweight. In closeouts, the second week in August saw an average loss of just under $19 a head versus $28 a head a year ago and more than $213 a head a month ago. Packer margins were estimated at $296 a head, about $10 more than the previous week compared to $350 a head a year ago. The choice beef cutout price averaged $208 a hundredweight, about $5 a hundredweight uh, higher than the previous week. In kind of a related 
uh, news feature is Dr. Daryl Peel, who's the ag economist at Oklahoma State University. He says year-to-date beef exports are down 7.6% for the January to June timeframe. Following a 33% year-over-year drop in June, and a similar decrease in May. Japan remains the largest U.S. beef export market and is up 5.6% year-over-year in the first half of 2020. However, this follows a, almost a 21% decrease in June and about a 23.5% decrease year-over-year in May. Number two, South Korea is down 7.4% year-over-year through June, following a double-digit monthly decrease in April, May, and June. Mexico, the number three market in recent years, has seen monthly decreases averaging almost 70, 68% in the second quarter, dropping Mexico to the fourth-largest beef export market with a year-to-date total down about 37.5% from year-ago levels. Canada, currently the third-largest beef export market, is up 12% in the first half of the year. China remains a small beef export market, about 1.4% of our total exports, but is up 70.9% for the year-to-date. Hong Kong is down 8% so far this year, and the combined total of China and Hong Kong is up only about 0.2% for the year to date. With a weaker global economy, meat trade forecasts have been revised. Total pork and broiler exports are still projected higher year over year, but beef exports are now projected to be lower year over year. China will continue to be a major driver of global protein trade, especially pork. Mexico remains a major concern with dramatic economic weaknesses expected to continue. Four of the five largest beef exports markets dropped sharply in the second quarter, and we'll have to watch closely for recovery in the second half of the year. China will remain a minor beef export market in 2020, but is likely to continue growing, barring major geopolitical disruptions. For those that are interested, three well-known agricultural beef economists, Jason Lux from Purdue University, Glenn Tonser from Kansas State, and Lee Schultz from Iowa State, authored a really interesting and timely white paper dealing with beef and pork marketing margins and price spreads during the COVID-19. This paper can be found in the show notes below if you're interested. The United States Department of Agriculture Animal and Plant Health Inspection Service recently awarded contracts to purchase up to 8 million low-frequency radio-frequency identification, or RFID, ear tags, which will help increase overall animal disease traceability in cattle and bison. The contract allows APHIS to purchase additional tags each year for up to five years. These RFID tags will be provided to animal health officials and will be distributed for use in replacement breeding cattle and bison at no cost to the producer. Details of how the system will get tags to producers are still being worked out, and it's anticipated that more information will be available in early October. 
For updated information, please join us next month on Beef Monthly to get an update from the Indiana Board of Animal Health. NCBA and CBB jointly held the Cattle Industry Business Meeting in Denver the last part of July. We have more information on the beef industry issues and policies passed in the Beef Issues Forum segment of this program and also on www.beefissuesforum.com for a longer, more in-depth discussion. This URL is posted in the show notes immediately below the, this video. In this segment of Beef Monthly, we're going to talk about uh, kind of the issues that are facing the beef industry, and, and uh, I'm... I've got three distinguished guests with me today, uh, and we're going to give a synopsis of kind of what happened at the cattle industry business meeting here that just wrapped up here at the end of July. Um, and first is uh, Tim Schwab. Uh, he's Region 1 Vice President from Batesville, Indiana. He sits on the executive committee of NCBA. Uh, Norm Voiles, Jr., who is Secretary Treasurer of the Cattlemen's Beef Board from Martinsville, Indiana. and the the CBB is really the checkoff division, okay? And uh, Donnie Lawson, he sits on the board of directors for NCBA from Thorntown, Indiana. And it's interesting that all three of these gentlemen have served as uh, past presidents of uh, the, the Indiana Beef Cattle Association, and now they're serving in national leadership roles. So, gentlemen, welcome to our program. And uh, we're gonna we're we're gonna. And Beef Monthly this this month, we're going to basically give you a teaser, okay, of uh, of a longer version uh, of Beef Issues Forum, um, uh, and and we'll have that posted, and you can look at the show notes below. So, gentlemen, let's let's start out. Norm, talk a little bit about the key takeaway points of the cattle industry business meeting that just wrapped up. Sure, from the, the cattleman's beef board perspective. Um, what we always do, we have two days of meetings where contractors come in uh, to present to five different committees, uh, actually six different committees, uh, their uh, projects that they would like checkoff dollars to spend. Uh, they come in, make their presentation, the committees get together, discuss them, evaluate them, make a score, uh, talk with the contractor a little bit about what they feel uh, might improve their program. And then those evaluations are all gathered and sent on to the Beef Operating, Beef Promotion Operating Committee, which actually uh, makes the final decision in September as far as which uh, authorization requests get funded and to which level. Um, as I said, there was two days of meetings to take care of that. Then our full board gets together and uh, has our business meeting and one of the Big things that came out of that this year was the approval of the, the new long-range plan, five-year plan that is a beef industry plan. It's a, a joint effort between Cattlemen's Beef Board, National Cattlemen's Beef Association, and the Federation and State Beef Council. Donnie, uh, from the from the committees that you sat on and, and from the uh, board of directors of NCBA, what are some of the key takeaway points that you came back with? I think the first thing I want to I say is a thank you to our staff that, that's with NCBA. 
and being able to have us all there in, in Denver for this meeting was extremely important for us to meet face to face to discuss the important issues that, that affects everyone in the nation is so important. And, and we, we talk about all kinds of different things, whether it's marketing, it's health, um, all of those issues are talked about in a very detailed manner in all of these committees. And, and one of the biggest committees that, that I served on and, and, and set, uh, that, that I went through was the live cattle marketing. And how do we handle that, especially after the COVID-19 and how it affected our industry in, in so many different ways, but also in the marketing side of it with the packers, what can we do to help that come through in a better uh, way? And, and, and that was one of the things that we did. We set up a, a, a working group that's going to look at that on a weekly basis, monthly basis, and, and figure out all the do's and don'ts, all the good things that are going on, and work with the packers, too, to help them understand what we're looking at. And, uh, and then that's, <clears throat> that's a much better way to do it than to turn it over to the federal government to take care of everything. So I think that's a key issue that we had with this. There's lots of other uh, things that were covered at, at this meeting, but it is so important for us all to work together because, like I said before, it doesn't matter what state it happens in, it affects all of us in the nation. Kim, what did you? Yeah, so, um, you know, I, I got to take part in a few of those uh, committee meetings and, and that live cattle marketing took up most of one day. Uh, some of the other committee meetings that were there were the property rights and environmental management. And, you know, there a couple years ago, the big topic in that was getting the, the gray wolves delisted off the Endangered Species Act. And now um, they, they think that's going to happen, I think, in uh, August maybe of this year. And, and you think, well, that's kind of a Western issue that really doesn't affect people in Indiana. But now the hot topic at that um, committee meeting was the black vultures. And, you know, you think we've got them bad in southern Indiana. Why, I guess if you get further south and east, they really get bad. And, and uh, they're, they're doing some work for us uh, to make it easier for a producer to get a permit uh, if they are, um, you know, uh, disturbing the livestock or whatever. Uh, another one of the committees was the Animal Health and Wellbeing uh, Committee, where we talked about um, the, the need for traceability. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know if we realize uh, what a great job Dr. Marsh has done. I mean, anybody that knows him knows that he has done a great job for us. But, you know, Indiana was, you know, maybe one of the shining stars there as quick as we can trace an animal here in Indiana um, with an EID tag and a premise ID and, and, you know, my hat's off to Dr. Marsh. You can't say enough good about him. Um, but there is going to be um, some, some more uh, traceability uh, in, in the near future. There's going to be some free tags available, um, maybe like 2.4 million extra tags. Um, available to producers. Uh, most of those will be low frequency, not high frequency. Um, and, you know, we're, we're kind of um, back in the cattle trace uh, people. Uh, there is other companies that do it, like IMI Global and stuff, but the cattle trace uh, is a producer-governed uh, non-for-profit um, business. So uh, that's just a few highlights. And, you know, like Donnie said, I think, uh, I think it was very important for us to meet as a group uh, and talk these issues out. And, um, and you know, if you're a member and you and you go to the summer meeting and you want to talk about an issue, uh, the mic's there and everybody, uh, doesn't matter how big or how small you are, gets a chance to 
to talk on the issues. So I think uh, I think it was great great opportunity. Thank you, gentlemen, for kind of giving us a, a snapshot of kind of what what happened at the summer uh, uh, cattle industry business meeting. Um, and for more information, please uh, look at the show notes below for a longer version of our discussion. In this segment of Ask Dr. Ron, the, the question from a producer really centered around, is it worthwhile putting on nitrogen to stockpile forage for later season grazing? And so I've asked Dr. Keith Johnson to join me, uh, the forage extension specialist in agronomy, um, to, to kind of help me work through that. Hey, Keith, let's, let's start at the very beginning of this. Um, you know, we're right now we're we're sitting in mid August roughly. Uh, pastures are growing. You know, we've if we're in a rotational grazing system, uh, you know, cattle have been in a pasture, then they move to another pasture and so forth. So let's talk about what are the ideal cells to be able to add nitrogen to, okay, so that we can get the maximum forage production and utilization out of our land. Well, in terms of the use of uh, stockpiling, I would suggest that probably somewhere around 20 to 25 percent of the acres that are in that rotational stocking program as part of the cells that we have would be an appropriate number of acres to think about uh, getting the task accomplished. So would you, would you use kind of the, the cells that I, maybe I grazed in early August, you know, mid-August, okay, are those the prime candidates that I just moved out, my cows out of, onto another cell? Is that the cell that would be the, probably the most benef benefited by nitrogen? Most definitely. I think you're looking at uh, the time that you move the animals on to the next, next cell, that it's time to think about getting that fertilizer on so that we take full advantage of the time that we have to grow as much forage as possible. If you think about cool season grass growth and development, we really have two phases that we're really growing forage, and that would be in the early spring to, to mid-spring, late spring. Then we get into this dormancy time that we're kind of still a bit in. But as we move into September and into October, we definitely have an opportunity to grow more cool season forage growth. And so we want to make sure that we have ample amount of nitrogen in place. Uh, such that we can take full advantage of those weeks to grow the forage. Timing on that nitrogen fertilizer uh, to be most cost-effective? I think we should be looking at uh, by September 1 to be most cost-effective. Of course, to make this work, we not only need the right temperature, I'm less concerned about that, but we need moisture. So that's one of the risk factors. If we're talking about uh, forward forecast saying, well, we're going to be way below average in moisture in September, well, then maybe that isn't the year to think about doing this, but if it's an average to above average type of rainfall situation and we get it on by the first uh, first of September, I think it could be a real go. What, uh, what form of nitrogen would you use? I think the right form probably is urea. Uh, it'll be cost effective. Uh, the downside of urea is if you do put it on on a hot type of hay uh, day uh, where we have a situation where it's dry soil, um, it could be a situation that we have volatilization, so we don't get the full amount of nitrogen. Uh, on the other hand, if we can time that such that 
there's a likelihood of rain in the forecast over the course of a few days after application, that would be most ideal. What what kind of rate are you talking? What, what's what, what is what's your research and your experience tell you on how much nitrogen to put on? Well, I think you have to look back. What have I applied this year? Um, and if you've applied anywhere less than uh, 75 pounds of nitrogen per acre, and I think most Indiana producers probably have, uh, but if the grass is showing that there is a, a need, in other words, if it's not deep green emerald and it's, it's still growing well, maybe you don't need to be thinking about the application of that nitrogen. On the other hand, if it's uh, moderate in color, uh, growth needs to be spurred on a little bit, then I think you think about investing in about 30 to 50 pounds of nitrogen per acre, which then would translate to around 100 pounds of urea per acre. So would, would you uh, would you kind of wait until maybe rain's in the forecast if, it was, if we're kind of coming through a dry, warm stretch, you know, have the buggy, the, the fertilizer buggy ready to go and, and apply it at that point? Absolutely. If we can see the rains in the forecast, uh, try to be as timely as you can with that application. That would be the ideal time to do it. What about, you know, we always talk about using legumes in our pastures, okay? And so, you know, if we've got clover, for example, in a fescue stand or whatever, um, do I need to put on fall nitrogen? I would say if you have, on average, scattered about uh, roughly 25 to 30% legume and it's relatively uniform, Keep in mind that the legume does provide some nitrogen back to that grass for growth. And as a result, I would say that is not the place uh, when you have that amount of legume or greater in the pasture. Uh, we want to be in a lesser than, say, 20% legume to think about use of that nitrogen to grow cool season grass. Any estimate on, okay, if I put 50 pounds of nitrogen on in a typical year, what would that do to my forage yield? In terms of forage yield, as compared to nothing, yeah, uh, I would say probably you're taking it from somewhere around a one and a half to two tons of dry matter production per per year, and boosting that probably to to three tons or more. Okay, so it's it, it, it's worth considering. Absolutely, particularly on a uh, predominantly grass pasture. Right now, one all one thing I would also say in terms of efficiency, if you have need for phosphorus or potassium and that's been dictated by soil test, blend the nitrogen along with the phosphorus and potassium. This is the right time of year to be getting those type of nutrients supplied. Keith, thanks, thank you so much for joining me. You've helped answer the question. In our production and management tips section, this month we're going to start with stockpiling forage for late season grazing. And we, we're actually going to discuss this more in the Ask Dr. Ron segment of this program. The bottom line is that if we can increase grazing days and reduce the amount of harvested forages fed, we will, we, we will reduce annual feed costs for keeping a cow. Since feed cost represents an average of about 60% of annual cow costs, stockpiling uh, forages and corn stock grazing can significantly reduce expenses. The next area to consider is the upcoming weaning of springborn calves. Management practices that include vaccinating calves, castrating bull calves, and deharning those calves that need it can add significantly to the value of your calves. Weaning, starting calves on feed for 45 days and getting them acclimated to both a bunk and a drinker, okay, an automatic water or a tank, 
can add additional sales weight and value. Make sure if you do these things that you let your buyers know what, when, and how you did these practices to optimize their value. Early pregnancy diagnosis, especially replacement heifers, allows earlier marketing of non-pregnant females on a seasonally higher market for long yearling type cattle, instead of holding them over until next spring and find out that they're open and then selling them for cow prices. Similarly, value can be added to market cows by marketing in late August and September compared to seasonally lower markets in October and November. Since co-animals represent an average of about 20% of the annual income of cow-calf operation, marketing at the right time can significantly increase profitability. In upcoming programs and events, the Feed Quality Forum, slated for August 24th, or 25th and 26th, two hours each day, is really designed for commercial cattlemen and professional cattle feeders with a focus on marketing. This program is virtual and it's free. And to get more information and to register, see our show notes below this video. The Farm Journal Field Days will be held August 25th through the 27th, starting at about 10 o'clock and lasting until about 5.30 Eastern Time. And again, see the show notes below for the daily agenda and for registration. Again, this one is a free one. The Noble Research Institute, okay, will host two online learning events about marketing cattle strategically. The first event is marketing cattle strategically uh, using a beef terminal sire program. This will be from 3 to 5 p.m. on Tuesday, September 1. This event will focus on the marketing benefits that a cow-calf producer can see. The second event, the following day, Marketing Heifers Strategically, will be from 3 to 5 Eastern Time on Wednesday, September 2nd. The program is centered on properly developing and vaccinating first calf heifers with protocols to develop a breeding program to ensure calving ease, high weaning weights of that first calf. There is no registration fee, but pre-registration is required. Again, see the show notes for below for more information at the Noble Foundation. Cattlefax is going to have two programs. The first one is Cattlefax Trends Plus Cow Calf free webinar on September 2nd at 7:30 p.m. Eastern Time. This is a virtual free program, and interested producers can again register at the URL listed listed in show notes below. The second Cattlefax one is an is a, a pay as you go one. Okay, it's a cattle facts risk management seminar scheduled for September 23rd and 24th. It will run from 2.30 to 6.30 uh, p.m. Eastern Time each of those two days. The cost for this program is $395, but it does give you access to live and recorded sessions and a seminar packet. Again, for more information, see the show notes below. We're also finalizing details regarding time and date for a virtual pasture herbicide field day coming up this fall. Please be watching for the announcement and we'll make more uh, information available in our uh, September edition of Beef Monthly.
This presentation was a production of the Animal Science Department at Purdue University.